Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Life Without Lack is our current teaching series, Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Abounding grace for my soul weariness is what we're going to talk about this weekend. Take a look at your sermon notes there. Our soul cannot run on empty. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. But the soul doesn't come with a gauge. That's the problem. It doesn't come with a gauge. One of the challenges of soul weariness is that it doesn't have the same obvious signs as physical weariness. The indicators of soul weariness are more subtle. But this is what you need to know is that the neglected soul doesn't naturally get better. It gets worse. So let me just give you, before we head into our study, some signs of soul weariness or discontentment is what we're talking about. This is what this whole series is about. And so let me just kind of go through these, see if I can hit everybody that's in here with this list. Here's the first one. Things seem to bother you more than they should. Your spouse's small but annoying habits get on your nerves. I put that in there because I had that experience this last week. No, it was Nancy towards me, not me towards Nancy. She, she pointed out a few things, and that was hurtful. Your spouses or friends or coworkers' morning cheerfulness is a source of irritation. So we're going through signs of soul weariness or discontentment. You still feel like you've been run over by a Mack truck even after a great vacation or a few good nights of sleep. You take yourself too seriously and it's difficult for you to lighten up, have some fun, and laugh at yourself. Impulses to eat that second or even third piece of motherlode chocolate cake with a half a gallon of vanilla ice cream on top are harder to resist than they otherwise should be. Some of you are thinking, what's wrong with that? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. You have less courage to stand up for what is right, speak the truth in love, live openly for Christ. But even when you do, you tend to be very divisive. You feel guilty when you relax and all that you can think about is what you need to do. You tend to nurse, curse, and rehearse your problems. Your perfectionism causes you to, to fear failure, be self-condemning, impatient with others, and always strive for an impossible ideal. You postpone your happiness by telling yourself that you'll be happy when the bills are paid, kids are grown, or you get that promotion, you can fill in the blank. Snickers uh, has this commercial, maybe you've seen it before, you're not yourself when you are hungry, you're not yourself when you are hungry. Turn to the person next to you and just jab them like this and go, you're not yourself when your soul is weary, okay? Do that real quick. By the way, uh, we have gotta do that for one another once in a while because we're usually the last ones to be able to see it, okay? Usually those that are closest to us can see it before we can see that. And so when we're talking about uh, soul weariness, 
And so abounding grace, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want abounding grace for my soul weariness. And in fact, part of the text here this morning is that he restores my soul. So two things we're going to look at as it relates to God restoring our soul. That's a promise. That's what he does. What does that mean? What does it mean that he restores our soul? And how does that happen? So, he, so what does that mean? And then how does that happen in our life? Let's first pray before we read our text and work through these notes. Would you bow your heads with me once again? So Father God, as it tells us in Isaiah 40, 28 through 29, you are the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. You don't faint or grow weary. Your understanding is unsearchable. You give power to the faint, and to him who is weak, you increase strength. So we pray through the study of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit that you would renew our minds, revive our hearts, and restore our souls. We pray in our Savior's beautiful name, and everyone said, amen. amen. So let me ask you this question. I asked you this last week uh, to start memorizing a couple things, and one was uh, Psalm 23. So quick show of hands, how many have already started memorizing Psalm 23? Show of hands. Okay, okay, excellent, excellent. Okay, good, good, it's good. What's up with the rest of you? Okay, start working on it. Listen, it's really easy. You could have already memorized that first line. If you did a line a week, we're going eight weeks. You got the first line down. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. You got it. Now this week, it is, he, he, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. So start working on that after we talk about it, and it'll, it'll mean a lot to you, and then, then we'll start working through this and start memorizing this. But we're going to read this every week um, as a congregation with great enthusiasm, okay? That's what, that's what we're going to do. And if you don't do it, we're going to keep reading it till we do, okay? Okay, maybe not. But uh, you guys will probably read it with a great deal of enthusiasm because it's a great text. It's a great, uh, great psalm. And so here we go. You guys ready to read it? Nice and loud. Sit up, in your, sit up in your seat. Here we go. Look at the text up here. One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! That's good stuff, isn't it? Fantastic. Good job. This is the word of the Lord to us this weekend. And so Psalm 23, 2 and 3a is our text. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He restores my soul as a statement of conclusion. So he's concluding a thought here. Green pastures and still waters are the ways God restores our soul. So we need to dig into this and find out, well, what does that mean? What does it mean he restores our soul? And then how does that happen in our lives? So take a look at your notes. He restores my soul. What does it mean? 
Literal translation, I got it there on your notes. He causes my life to return. That's literally what the translation is saying. The, the Hebrew word for restore is replenish, to return to its original state. The word soul, Hebrew, in the Hebrew, Old Testament was written in the Hebrew. Nefesh is living being, mind, emotion, will, passion, and purpose. Genesis 2, 7, it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Uh, some tra translations, ESV says living creature, but the word is soul or nefesh, living soul. So he stores my life, my person, my wholeness. He makes me whole is what he's saying here. He gives us life. He gives us passion, purpose, vitality. Now, that certainly happens at salvation through saving grace. When you acknowledge your sin, it separates you from God, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, confess him as your Savior and Lord, oh, my goodness, you're never more alive than, than at that moment as, as his Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. You're made alive spiritually. But we also know that it's, it's more than that also. It, it also is needed throughout our life because life is hard. We live in a fallen world that can literally beat the living daylights out of you. And so we not only need the saving grace, but we need sanctifying and sustaining grace. This is what he's talking about here. He restores my soul. Let me give you the first fill in the blank on your notes. It is an inner life that is flourishing with peace, passion, and purpose. It is an inner life that is flourishing with peace, passion, and purpose. So we got an outer life and an inner life. By the way, soul represents really both. We're going to focus primarily on the inner life because your outer life is a reflection of your inner life. And so, so we have an outer life and an inner life. The outer life is the public visible me, my accomplishments, work, reputation. The inner life is where my secret thoughts, feelings, hopes, and dreams live. Because my inner life is is invisible, it's easy to neglect and pretend that it is doing better than what it really is. We live in a culture that teaches us to be more concerned about which one, the inner life or the outer life? Yeah, the outer life. We live in a culture that puts its emphasis on the outer life. We are more concerned with the condition of our cars, our careers, our portfolios than the condition of our souls. What matters is not the accomplishments you achieve, but the person that you become. See, we put a big deal, make a big deal about all the things that we've done, but the Bible makes a big deal about who you have become and who you are becoming. We always take care of the most, uh, we always take the most care of that which we most value. So if I were to look at your life, what would I, what would I draw from your life? What would I infer from your life that you value the outer or the inner more of your life? Let me say that again. What we value most is what we're going to spend most of our attention and time on. We always take the most care of that which we most value. See, the best thing that you can give to God, to family, to friends, 
is the person you become, a healthy soul. You want to make your marriage better? Become a healthy soul. You want to be a good, healthy, strong parent? Become a healthy soul. You want to be a great co-worker? You want to be a great friend? Become a healthy soul. Focus on the inside of you. Now, why is that important? Because a healthy soul will bring life rather than death to those around you. In your relationship, you're either bringing life or death. And so a healthy soul brings life. It is restoring your passion. So we talk about when he restores my soul, it is restoring your passion and purpose, your energy, excitement, enthusiasm for life. You see, without passion and purpose, you're not really living, you're just existing. Without passion and purpose, life is mundane, monotonous, and miserable. Without passion and purpose, you are just enduring life. You're not enjoying life. Passion and purpose is the driving force behind athletes breaking records, musicians writing great songs, scientists discovering new cures, architects designing beautiful buildings. Nothing great ever is ever accomplished or sustained without passion and purpose. See, the big question really is what is the source and motivation of your passion and purpose? What, what drives you? What motivates you? Is it you for your glory? That's temporal, won't last. Or is it God for his glory? That's eternal. The opposite is having very little passion and purpose to live, ranging from listlessness to depression to even being suicidal. If you're on that trek, it's because your passion and purpose is based on something that's temporal and it's letting you down. But if you build your passion and purpose on God, who God is, and living for his glory, he will never, ever let you down. Here's the next point on your notes. This is not a denial of sin and suffering of life, but confidence that my shepherd will provide all that I need for whatever I am facing. So I love about the Bible. So becoming a Christian is not a denial of reality. It's that we embrace a much bigger reality. And Philippians 4.13, maybe you're familiar with that verse. You could probably quote that verse, Philippians 4.13. Anybody remember what that verse is? I can do all things through Christ who, who strengthens me. By the way, the context of that, you guys know what the context of that is? The context is, uh, is about... Paul's writing this in prison, and he's saying, I can be content in all circumstances. Oh, by the way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then later on in verse 19, just a few verses down, he says, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. He's going he's to cover every base. He's got, he's got me taken care of. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lack nothing is what he's saying. I've got everything I need in him. And... Uh, so, a restored soul or contentment is not denial of hurt and disappointment. It's not that. Psalms of lament are the largest grouping of the psalms in the Bible. Psalms of lament. Restored soul or contentment isn't liking everything that is going on in your life. David didn't like everything that went on in his life. He lost you know, the loss of his wife, the death of an infant son, the rape of his daughter, the murder of his son, and the enemies that surrounded him. And yet in the midst of that, he's still able to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
I shall lack nothing. Life without lack. Restored soul or contentment is not settling for things in your life that are less than what, you, what they ought to be. Such as, think about this. When you consider what we have in Christ, which you should be doing that daily, <laughs> I mean, every day you should be considering what you have in Christ, who Christ is and what he's done for you. And all the, the wealth of resources that we have in him. And when you consider what we have in Christ, we should be the happiest and most contented people on this planet without the slightest bit of bitterness, complaining, or worry. So when people say, oh, yeah, they're a Christian, the things that should come to mind is like, wow, they are? Yeah, they, they're the most contented and happy people I've ever been around. There's not even the slightest bit of bitterness or complaining or worry. What's up with that? I'd like to know what they have. But, but too often, we're not, we're not there because we're not considering regularly what we have in him. And so there should be a holy discontent for those things that God has promised us in his word as we fight the good fight of faith every day. Here's the next one, next point on your notes. The worst circumstances can't destroy a healthy soul. So think about that, the worst circumstances. I know some of you are going through really, really bad circumstances. I know that. I had some people last night come up to me and they told me some devastating things that they were going through. And, and the worst circumstances cannot destroy a healthy soul and the best circumstances can't restore a healthy soul. The best circumstances can't restore an, an unhealthy soul. Okay, did you guys correct me on that? Okay, thank you. Thank you for that correction. I need help from time to time. So that's true. That's true. What I said before was not true, okay? Proverbs 18:14. a man's spirit will endure sickness, but a crushed spirit who can bear. Spirit is part of our soul. The idea of spirit here is wind, force, power, energy, emotional energy, passion, purpose for life, that which propels us out into life. And so it's saying a man's spirit or a healthy soul will endure sickness. It can face anything. But a crushed spirit or an unhealthy soul, who can bear? So your circumstances matter far less to your happiness than you think. It's the health of your soul that makes life heaven or hell. Well, just think about that just for a minute. That's, that's part of the battle that goes on within us. A healthy soul will have peace, joy, and contentment that is not based on circumstances, but on the God who lovingly and wisely rules all circumstances for your good and his glory. That's the truth of what the Bible teaches us. And so... Day in and day out, every week, we have to be recalibrated. We have to keep coming back to his word. And so what does it mean that he restores my soul? It is an inner life that is flourishing with peace, passion, and purpose. This is not a denial of the sin and suffering of life, but confidence that my shepherd will provide all that I need for whatever I am facing. The worst circumstances can't destroy a healthy soul, and the best circumstances can't restore an unhealthy soul. So how does it happen? That's the next question. How does this happen in our lives? Well, here's the first thing, first fill in the blank under that heading. We've got to stop following other shepherds. 
Stop following other shepherds. Notice what he says in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. He alone, he only is my shepherd. Why do we experience discontentment? Just think about this for a minute. The reason why we experience discontentment, bitterness, complaining, worry, it is because we are following other shepherds. And those other shepherds are letting us down. Let me give you some of those shepherds. There's the performance shepherd. Performance shepherd says, contentment is in what I do. I struggle with that one. That's one that I struggle with. Then there's the appearance shepherd. Contentment is is in how I look. Then there's the possession shepherd. Contentment is in what I have. Then there's the popularity shepherd. This is the people-pleasing shepherd. Contentment is in what people think about me, what they say about me. And then there's the politics shepherd. (laughs) Yes. Contentment is based on the ups and downs of politics. I mean, I see that in people. I see their emotional highs and lows just based on what's happening in politics. They're following the politics shepherd. Then there's the marriage and children shepherd. Contentment is finding the perfect spouse and having world-class athlete children. Good luck on that one. And then there's the rugged individualism shepherd. Contentment is being independent and self-reliant. I don't need anybody. I can figure this out. We can never live up to their demands, any of these shepherds. Maybe you could pick out yours. There's, there's many more that we could spend time on. You need to identify those shepherds you tend to follow other than the good shepherd. They cannot make us lie down in green pastures. It is because we have been created for more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, God has put eternity in our hearts. Discontentment is evidence that we are following other shepherds and they are letting us down. Listen to me. Listen to me. If you're following the good shepherd, you should be the happiest, most contented person on this planet. But the reason why we're not is because we're following other shepherds and they're letting us down. And that's why we have discontentment. And that's why we we have so much inordinate anxiety and anger and, and disillusionment and despair. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. The good shepherd is the only one that can make it possible for you to lie down in green pastures. I was, I, one of the books that I've been reading as I've been working through this teaching series, it's, it's by Philip Keller, and it's titled, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. So he was a shepherd, and he really has some great insight on sheep and uh, really helped me to understand a little bit more of what David is talking about here. The Lord is my shepherd and understanding the nature of sheep. And this is what he said in the book. Sheep will only lie down when they are free from four things. Fear, friction, fleas or flies, and then famine. Let me kind of walk through each of these because you could certainly see the people, you know, the people uh, parallel to each of these. For instance, fear. This is what's interesting about sheep is a jackrabbit jumping from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. I mean, they just, 
And, and a lot of the flock won't even know what the first one was jumping at. They're just going to chase him. They're going to just right, right after that particular one. It's just, it's kind of crazy, just fear. And then there's, there's friction, tension, rivalry, cruel competition within the flock. Now, chickens have a pecking order. Cattle have a horning order. Sheep have what? No, they have a butting order, B-U-T-T-I-N-G. So they butt each other. And then flies and fleas can irritate and torment sheep. Those are those little annoyances, those things that, that bug us, no pun intended, but uh, it's just the, the things that irritate us, and that's what he's talking about here. And then famine, dying of, of, of thirst or hunger. It is the shepherd's job to make it possible for the sheep to be free from these disturbing influences. Other shepherds will not set you free from these disturbances in our lives. You can see the parallel. See, a flock that is restless, discontented, always agitated and disturbed never does well. And the same is true of people. Just came across this last week. Listen to these stats. Americans are now experiencing the highest levels of stress, anger, and worry in a decade. Just this last week, I heard that stat, read that stat. New Gallup poll says Americans are among the most stressed people in the world. 55% say that they experience stress a lot of the day. 55%. 45% feel a lot of worry. 22% feel a lot of anger. We're following the wrong shepherd. And that shepherd will not make us lie down in green pastures. And so we need need the help. We've got to stop following other shepherds because only the good shepherd can make you lie down in green pastures. And he will help to eliminate the fears, the friction in relationships, the the annoyances, the fleas, the flies in our life, those things that bug us and bother us, and famine. Only he can satisfy the deepest longing of our souls. So what do we need to do? We need to start feasting on what the good shepherd provides. So we've got to stop, stop following other shepherds and start feasting on what the good shepherd provides. How do you keep your soul from being led astray by other shepherds? By looking to the good shepherd to give to you what you are trying to get from other shepherds. So the good shepherd must become more beautiful to your imagination, more attractive to your heart than other shepherds. We sin. Why do we sin? Sin is what we do when we're not satisfied with a good shepherd. We follow other shepherds because we actually think we're going to be happier. And so the way that we stop following other shepherds is that we know that ultimately only the good shepherd can satisfy the deepest longing of my soul. Only he can make me truly happy for all eternity. So I, I went through a couple of these. So what does that look like? Well, the popularity shepherd, contentment is in what others think about you. So think about this. If you're a people-pleasing kind of person, which probably most of us are, we all tend to fall prey to this. So what does that mean? That means that uh, praise will inflate you and criticism will deflate you. Praise will, will go to your head and criticism will go to your heart. So, so how do you overcome that? Well, I know how I overcome it. When you spend time in the court of the king of the universe who loves you, adores you, gave his 
life for you, believe me, the court of human opinion carries very little influence in comparison. You keep coming back to him and realize what he says about you. Then you can manage and navigate through the, the praise and the criticism. It doesn't go to your head or go to your heart as much. How about this one? Performance shepherd. Contentment is in what I do. No. No, contentment is in who I am in Christ. I don't work to be justified, but because I am justified. So your identity and acceptance in Christ come before achievement and ministry for Christ. Now listen to me. It's who you are in Christ, what he's done for you. Then out of that, then you can do what Jesus would do. But we tend to reverse that. We tend to make our identity based on what we're doing. No, no, it's not on what you do. It's what has been done for you through Christ Jesus. That should so fill up your soul if you really understood and thought out the implications of all that Christ has done for you. And then you begin to do what he's called you to do but you do it out of his strength for his glory. Let's do this. Let's meditate on these uh, verses here. Of Really, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. You okay with that? Let's, let's just kind of think about this. This is what I often do, and this is how I study the scripture. I just kind of walk through it little by little. Let me do that. By the way, so, so what we're doing, and this is what I want to teach you, is that well, how do I feast on all that the good, good shepherd provides? It is taking the truth of who Christ is and what he's done for us and applying it specifically to where my heart is most restless. But I've got to be in touch with where my heart is. Is it anxiety? Is it anger? Is it depression? What's going on? And what's, what's at the root? You've got to find out, why am I anxious? Why am I depressed? What's going on in my life? And then begin to take the truths of who Christ is and what he's done, and then apply them specifically to where your heart is most restless. There are times I, I'm overwhelmed with, with anxiety. There are times that I just I worry like crazy for my kids and my grandkids. There are times I'm pretty depressed. And I'll tell you, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. Oh my goodness, I, I spend some moments in him and I begin to take those truths of who Christ is and what he's done for me and I begin to apply them specifically to where my heart is most restless. Oh my goodness. There is rest, there is peace, there is joy. That's what I want you to experience. I want you to know that. There's nothing quite like that. Let's walk through these. So he makes me lie down in green pastures. So, so what does that mean, he makes me lie down? Well, he so satisfies my soul that I, I'm able to lie down and rest. That's what it means. Green pastures, a rich, lush feeding place from which the flock need never move to be satisfied. That's the idea here. He leads me beside still waters. He leads me. Butchers drive the sheep, but shepherds lead their sheep. So he's not forcing you, but drawing you. John 10, 3 through 4, listen to what it says. The sheep, so this is talking about, so we know that the Psalm 23, the, the shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, he's talking about, really, it tells us in John 10 that it's, it's the good shepherd, it's Jesus. And so, 
John 10, three through four, the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you know his voice? Do you hear him? You have to have that level of interaction with him where you hear his voice. So do you hear his voice? The very fact that you even want to hear his voice is evident that you hear his voice. He's drawing you. That's what it's saying. He leads me beside still waters. John 4, 13 through 14. Jesus said to her, the woman at the well, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. So drink from the wells of this world Follow any other shepherd, you're going to be thirsty again. Drink of this water, and you will never be thirsty, is what he says. And the water that I give you will become in you a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Oh, that's good. Now, this is what you need to know about sheep. Sheep are nervous animals that are afraid of loud, rushing waters. They kind of freak out. And, uh, and so he says here, beside still waters. What's the idea of beside? It isn't a place you go to weekly or monthly. It is a daily continuous replenishing. Beside still waters. I lead you beside still waters is the idea. It is a daily continuous replenishing. It is where you can live your life. Here's some verses that kind of uh, that Nancy and I reflected on on our uh, sabbatical this last summer. Many we reflected on a lot of verses, but these really meant a lot to us. Psalm 36, 7, 3, it has the same idea. It says, how precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Listen to this. They feast on the abundance of your house. So do you feast on the abundance of his house? And you give them drink from the river of your delights? Close your eyes here just for a moment. Hang on to your wallet. Make sure that person next to you isn't digging through your purse right now, okay? Just open up one eye, look, okay. So just close your eyes just for a minute. Imagine the ideal picnic spot. It is springtime. The pasture is thick with green grass, with beautiful flowers blooming. You throw your pallet down next to a mountain snowmelt, quiet stream of water to have a picnic. Whew. Relaxing. It's good. It's sweet. This is what he's describing. Open your eyes. Maybe a better picture for some of you would be your ideal golf course, okay? Any golfers? Ideal golf course. Woo. Or maybe it's your, uh, maybe for some of you, it's your favorite fishing spot. Anybody like fishing? Got that favorite fishing spot or, or favorite hiking trail? How about this? What is your, what's your favorite uh, vacation spot? Maybe you've never been there. Maybe a place you'd like to go. Maybe it has been a place you, you go to. Your favorite vacation spot. This is what he's describing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So what is your favorite vacation spot? Turn to the person next to you and ask them, what is their favorite vacation spot? Real quick.
So here's, what, here's the point that I'm trying to get at so that you understand this, is that David is describing a Garden of Eden kind of place here. He's doing it for sheep, but we could take it and use it for people and say, wow, this is, this is a great place. But it's, it's, it's not just this, a great place. So let me ask you this. What, what are your green pastures and still waters? What are the spiritual disciplines, habits of grace that help you to be filled with contentment? So, so the point here is spending time with God, knowing and enjoying and loving God should have those moments that feels like your ideal vacation spot. It's not a place. It's a person, it's a person that your interaction with him should feel like, yes, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yes. Do you have those moments in your life? If you don't, your soul is going to be weary. You're going to be run ragged. And I've found that the older I get, the more I need that. And the more I take out time to just let him restore my soul. And I do it daily, I do it weekly, I do it annually. We've got to learn to divert daily, withdraw weekly, and abandon annually to let him restore our soul. Now remember, I also ask you to, to memorize contentment. You guys remember that? The definition of contentment? Anybody remember last weekend? That's what we, we had the whole service talking about? Okay. We talked about contentment, didn't we? And so what did we say contentment is? I would encourage you to memorize this. This was another thing that I memorized on our sabbatical along with the 23rd Psalm. Oh, my goodness, it was really helpful. Because it kind of, it was a recalibration of my heart because this is what it looks like. When I spend time with him, so contentment is the inward. It's not based on circumstances. Because even when I was on sabbatical, I faced, Nancy and I faced some really Bad circumstances in our life. It was really crazy. I shared with you some of those. I didn't share with you all of those. And so I had to learn. It's not external. It's not my circumstances. It's inward. It's an inward gracious. It's not something that I can achieve. It's something that I can receive. And it's the grace of God. It's his favor on my life. I've got to look to him. So it's an inward gracious quiet spirit. What is a quiet spirit? Quiet spirit is minus... Bitterness in the past, complaining about the present, worry about the future, that joyfully rest. Remember what joy is? It's a, it's a buoyancy. Life can push you down. It can't keep you down because of, the, because of the pleasures you find in the eternal privileges that are yours in Christ Jesus. And we mentioned two of those. Remember the two that we mentioned? It's to joyfully rest in the presence, in his presence, his fullness of joy, are you kidding me? Yes. No, I'm not kidding you. That's for real. In his presence and his providence, his providence, that even in the crappiest, worst circumstances, you need to know when you come back to God's word that you have his undivided attention, unconditional affection, and unlimited action working for your good and his glory. So you got to come back to his word. That's, that's contentment. So what you're doing is you're working that down deep into your heart as you pray, as you're having that, uh, as he's making you lie down in green pastures and leading you beside still waters as he restores your soul. Listen to this. Uh, I found this really interesting. Um, 
This is a quote. Years ago, a Christian psychiatrist named Frank Lake worked with many people who wanted to serve noble causes, but the stress and demands and difficulties got to them, and soon they became drained and bitter and cynical and discouraged. Sounds like our culture. He got together with the great Swiss theologian, Emil Brunner, and they began to reflect on the life of Jesus in the Gospels. And Jesus faced enormous stresses and difficulties and pain, yet he never got sarcastic or cynical or unloving or burnt out. No one took away his joy. When they looked at Jesus' life, they saw a pattern uh, to it different from the pattern of the lives of the missionaries Frank Lake saw burning out. All human beings face challenge and pain and demands. Jesus, however, lived in a divine rhythm where grace was constantly flowing into him and then flowing from him. And it was because he had so arranged his life that he regularly withdrew to lonely places and prayed and continued to keep himself filled up. And so we must arrange our days so that we are experiencing deep contentment, green pastures and still waters in our everyday life with God. And that means you must, here's the last one, strategically eliminate hurry from your life. Strategically eliminate hurry from your life. Notice it says, we lie down, still waters. That's talking about rest. It's not getting into a big hurry. Your identity and acceptance in Christ come before achievement in ministry. The only reason why we're in a hurry is because we forget that our identity is what has been done for us and not in what we do. We're not working for our identity. We're working from our identity and that creates this hurry sickness. And so if your identity and acceptance in Christ come before achievement in ministry, really what I'm saying is that this is a contentment and joy in your good shepherd that no one or nothing can take from you. Listen to a, a quote. One of the things that I do that just recharges me, I have a number of devotionals that I'll read and I spend a lot of time in God's word just meditating and reflecting and I, I'm, I'm desperate. I need that for my own heart and life and soul replenishing. But I, this is one that I, I worked through morning and evening with Charles uh, Spurgeon. And this was yesterday morning as I was reading through this. Listen to what he says. It is your own fault if, it is our own fault if we do not freely access the riches of our God. It's our fault. Then, since you have such a friend and he invites you, draw from him daily. Never want while you have a God to go to. Never fear a faint, fear or faint while you have God to help you. Go to your treasure and take whatever you need. There is all that you can want. There is all that you can want. Learn the divine skill of making God all things to you. It's up to you, up to you. And like, like I said, what will happen is this will give you the capacity to divert daily, withdraw weekly, abandon annually as you establish good boundaries and margin in your life. Took a look at this, uh, this idea behind busyness, being busy and hurried. Look at that up on your screen. 
You might have it on your notes there. So busy is a full schedule. Hurried is preoccupied. That's our culture. We're preoccupied with our phones, with our screens, with whatever's going on. We've got to put those things down. We're missing. We don't hear God like we should because we're just too preoccupied. Busy is many activities. Hurried is unable to be fully present. Busy is an, is an outward condition. Hurried is an inner condition of the soul. Busy is physically demanding, but hurried is spiritually draining. Busy reminds me I need God. Hurried causes me to be unavailable to God. Do you hear him this morning? I've, I've kind of slowed down a little bit. Some of you have fallen asleep here, and probably the best sleep you'll get all week right here, okay? <laughs> no, none of you have fallen asleep. I, but you got to calm down. You got to relax. I did that purposely. We just, we have to relax. We have to learn to enjoy him and enjoy the moments that he gives us. Have you heard our good shepherd this morning? Here's what he's saying. He's saying this to us, Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's pray. So, Father God, thank you. Thank you for restoring our souls by making us lie down in green pastures and leading us beside still waters. Help us to stop following other shepherds and start feasting on what you, our good shepherd, provides so that we can strategically eliminate hurry from our lives and find rest and contentment that can only be found in you. We pray in Jesus' glorious and beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. amen. I love you guys. Have a great week.